Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guests are Dr. Charles Pennick and Dr. Mark Funderlich. And we're going to be talking all about stem cell therapy. This is something that is on top of my mind, and I am so excited to bring this into my practice. And we learned a lot about the basics, the applications, and if stem cell therapy might be for you. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and we have two wonderful guests today. We're going to be talking all about stem cell therapy. So I want to welcome Dr. Charles Pennick, a dear friend, and my new friend, Dr. Mark Funderlich. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Charles Pennick and I met through Dr. Isaac Jones' community, and we've developed a friendship and a camaraderie about really the future of medicine and, you know, really the integration of, you know, the what we know as functional medicine or in my camp, what we know as bioregulatory medicine or naturopathic medicine and how we really, you know, need to continue to evolve those therapeutics and those foundations of health to really meet the demands of how sick people are today. And we've had lots of conversations about bringing biophysics into practice. And something that I'm very passionate about learning at this point in my career is how to bring in regenerative medicine into the clinical picture. And before we got on, we were talking about how this has really been like the wild west for quite some time of just based on regulation, access, expense, you know, what's available in the U.S., what's not available in the U.S., why people have to go to overseas and so forth. And so it gets really confusing really quickly. And so we want to just do a lot of education today. If this is something that you're thinking about, including in your recovery, we want you to just be equipped with the right knowledge. So that's what's going to guide us. So I'm just going to have my audience get to know you both a little bit first and we'll dive in. So Charles, why don't you just tell the community a little bit about your practice, you know, and your passions and kind of how you got involved in stem cell research and therapy. Certainly. So I did uh, undergrad in, in Alabama and then medical school at Loma Linda University School of Medicine, did a family medicine residency in Palm Springs and uh, out of residency started working in the field of integrative and functional medicine and blessed to have a lot of awesome mentors who have poured into me and just, you know, continuing to learn from just people who have become masters in their fields. So that's, you know, it's been such a gift. One of the things that I realized early on, it's not not just because it's a hot topic, maybe it's also because I feel like I'm at the place where I realize that I'm not immortal, um, yeah. but is the, the anti-aging and regenerative space. And so, you know, I started really looking into you know, things, biohacking techniques like red light and PEMF, and was bring, we're bringing those therapies into my office, uh, certain IV therapies like NAD. I was doing alpha lipoic acid and several oxygen therapies between ozone and where you exercise with oxygen. EWAT is one of the names that it's called. So, you know, I, I remember when I actually finished residency and worked with Dr. Jeremy Caslow in Orange County. He was my first mentor. He called me a business partner, but he truly was training me. And just seeing the outcome of some of the stem cells, stem cell injections that he was doing, he educated me a bit on the fact that there are ways you can potentiate stem cell 
efficacy by preparing the body in certain ways, by um, kind of preloading it with, with certain things. So it, it gave me a little bit of a taste, but I never actually brought it into my practice until actually Dr. Funderlich reached out to me. Uh, we met over a year ago. He was developing a brain regeneration program and then reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love if you could come in on this project and and contribute. And so I'm really actually, I'm extremely excited to, to be a part of something that I think is cutting edge, not because stem cells are new, because they've been around for quite some time, but cutting edge because often it's, it's viewed through kind of just one lens. It's just, you know, hey, let's inject some stem cells into a joint. And where the potential is so far reaching and the amount of research out there, especially globally, is, is incredible. And so beginning to bring that into the clinical space, rather than just saying, hey, just take this supplement or do this IV, uh, there's so, so much potential from just giving the body cells that already know what to do and the body can direct it in the right pathway for healing. So that's what led me down this pathway. And I'm definitely excited to be, uh, to be in this space now. So Awesome. As you say that, I just kind of, you know, as part of our training, especially as naturopathic doctors or people who believe in functional medicine, we're really connected to that. You know, the body has this innate intelligence and this innate wisdom. However, there's many things in life that interrupt and interfere and, and block that information and that energy. And so I still feel like I feel like the regenerative tools and therapies are very much still aligned with that idea. It's just kind of we have to up level to our healing potential for all the stress that humans are up against these these days. So no, I'm, I'm continually excited. I've learned a lot through my patients over the years. But again, I'm, you know, also at that point of bringing it into my practice and learning. And again, with the access, you know, opening a little bit more in the U.S., we have some more options. So Dr. Funderlich, I want to get to know you a little bit. I'm so glad that your path crossed with Dr. Pennick, And I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into this area of your work. Sure. I would say probably, I just don't say no to things is really how I got here. <laughs> so uh, I graduated chiropractic school in 2017. And kind of my main focus coming out of chiropractic school was functional medicine and functional neurology. And so we were really very interested in the functional medicine aspect, kind of the biochemical side of things. My partner at the time was a applied kinesiology based chiropractor. So the emotional side physical side, the whole triangle. And in that original space, there was me, there was him. We had a weight loss psychologist. We had a yoga studio. We had a vitamin store. We had a nurse practitioner and we had a medical doctor. And the medical doctor ended up doing stem cell injections at another location. We helped him launch the first medical marijuana clinic in Pennsylvania or inside of the first wave because um, they granted 10 licenses, I believe, whenever we, we started that. So I started very early on kind of in that integrated setting with a bunch of different types of points of view. And I think that was pretty formational for how we kind of viewed things going forward. From there, my now wife and I moved to New Jersey and I actually ended up working in neurosurgery. So the exact opposite perspective. You know, you're inside of a room with no windows, inside of a wing of a hospital with no windows, inside of a sterile building for 36 hours or for 30, you know, surgeries straight. And so that was kind of really also paradigm shifting, at least for me, with my major focus being neurologic rehabilitation, because we got to see, you know, the brain and, and really seeing the brain alive and functioning, and then doing neurologic mapping for research studies and for quality control during surgery 
it just gives you a different perspective when you can look and see how much the brain actually moves whenever you've, you know, removed the skull and you're working on somebody who's still alive. So that was, I would say, internally paradigm shifting as well for me. And kind of from there, we just kind of developed more integrated practice. And so now I have a practice in Raleigh where we're a collective of physicians, both medical and chiropractic or more natural minded. And so we have family medicine, PAs, nurse practitioners, Um, We do everything from neuropsych to family medicine. And so we try to have all of those things under one roof so that way everybody can work together for all the patients. You know, we're very much on our family practice side, you know, welcoming of unvaccinated children and everything like that. So it became quickly a staple within the community for families looking for a home and then helping them spread out and meet their other needs with the specialties that we put in place around it. So that's kind of what we do. You know, we do vitamin IVs, we have an injection center, we have the primary care, we have the neurologic rehabilitation, chiropractic care, all under one roof within different divisions. So there's a lot of crossing and switching and helping patients and collaboration. So that's kind of the practice side. On the non-practice side, I've been in medical device for a while. I started teaching continual medical education in 2018. It's the year after I graduated school uh, with you're smart, Mark. You're smart. <laughs> and so the medical device side and teaching and educating eventually kind of led me down to being connected and getting into the regenerative medicine side. So we have the ability to run the lab now and wow. we have a US based lab. And so with that, you know, mesenchymal stem cells, or even though they're from umbilical cord, they're still adult stem cells. They're not embryonic stem cells, they're still considered adult. And with that, really the CARES Act in 2016 with President Trump was the reason why stem cells really were able to be done in the United States through the umbilical cords. Mm -hmm. Now, individual states like North Carolina, Governor Cooper passed a law in 2019 where they won't allow mesenchymal stem cells, but that's the only state to have that certain carve out. And that's really just because the major universities don't want to have their turf Mm -hmm. stepped on. So you're allowed to if you're a major university, but part of the reason for that is just all of the, you know, there's there's no clarity within the space. You definitely have a lot of bad actors. And so it was kind of our goal to, to take the lab, build a really good quality product, and then on top of that, do education, bring it into kind of the light. And from there, you know, have something that we're not afraid to shine a light on and then move that forward, help the industry move forward. So you know, we're taking a more global approach with the lab. You know, the lab is just one piece. The important part is the clinical education, the lab process. Once you know how to do those things and have good quality products, getting doctors to understand and learn the differences is the most important part because that's how we help the patients. You know, even before Charles and I had this conversation that we wanted to bring this onto the podcast, like I've been wanting to do a lot of continuing education on stem cells and exosomes and it's kind of still hard to like find your go-to places to get that education because um again um as anything in medicine it has to advance first with like the professional education for the doctors so they can have the right application and these therapies and these techniques and these wonderful tools can actually work in the way that we all want them to. So Mark, I want to just take a step back. And if you could just kind of like really give the audience just like a, like 
quick 101, like what's available, like what's allowed in the U.S. as far as this like term stem cell, like what's that umbrella and compass in the United States at this moment in time when we're recording? Sure. So we have those two base settings. We have those adult stem cells. Those break down into umbilical cord stem cells, adipose tissue stem cells. So we'll use, you know, liposuction to pull your fat out, spin out the stem cells, and then inject that back into you, or bone marrow-based stem cells. So they pull your bone marrow out, they aspirate it, they spin out the bone uh, stem cells, inject them back into you. So those are the three that are generally legal. The other kind, embryonic stem cells, those haven't been legal for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reality is those embryonic stem cells, you know, the idea that you take those basic stem cells from a blastocyte and you, they want to grow and turn into a person. So you can't just like inject that into a knee and expect it to just grow your cartilage back. Like more than likely it will turn into a tumor and it'll turn into a bunch of tissue that's mismatched and misformed and it's not going to go well. So the fact that those embryonic stem cells are illegal for outpatient physicians to use isn't even that big of a deal because it's not the type of tissue that you'd want to begin with. So that eliminates all of the ethical concerns kind of right away because you're not, you know, using any aborted tissue. Everything from the mesenchymal side is all going to be adult, right? From the umbilical cord, from babies who are already born, who are healthy. And we only collect the umbilical cords from mothers who have pre-planned C-sections and are non-mRNA COVID vaccinated, or really any mRNA vaccine, because there are other ones out there. But you can't have any gene therapy, period, if we are going to collect that tissue, because we don't Mm -hmm. want to alter the cells at all. So that's kind of the, the basic lay of the land. And then everybody starts to fight over which one of the mesenchymal type is the best. It's a pretty clear and easy process, but the FDA does allow with specific carve outs, different types of stem cell therapies, just none of them are umbilical cord based. So mm-hmm. we do uh, stem cell treatments for things like leukemia and bone marrow cancers all the time, where we'll inject fresh stem cells into somebody to help give them that fresh start so that way their blood cancers will go away. So those types of things are cleared by the FDA as specific treatments. So you, everyone likes to take that and then try to block everyone else out of the market. But mm-hmm. the whole stem cell world is pretty quantified. It's just a matter of internal FDA fighting and people who have clearances, not wanting other people to come into the market, surgery, not wanting to be competed with without patient objection, things like that. So it's kind of the same story that natural medicine's got for a long time. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Christine Schaffner. And for being part of my podcast community, I wanted to give you a very special gift, the code SPECTRUM40 to use at the apothecarystore.com for my product, my signature product, a lymphatic drainage cream called Lymphlo. Lymphlo is a staple in all of my patient protocols, and it was formulated to use topically on the neck to help assist the lymphatic system in draining the brain. It has a plethora of other uses from treating your scars, to helping reduce pain and inflammation, to helping to support your liver, your kidneys, or bring blood flow circulation and lymphatic drainage wherever lymph flow is applied. So please check out the code SPECTRUM40 and use at apothecary with an I, store.com. All the information is on the show notes. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just have two points I'd love you to extrapolate. One, what I've heard 
also, obviously, there's that difference between embryonic and the dangers that go with that, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, like, right, that you can get stem cells from another person or from yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, within the fat and the bone marrow or however you collect, you know, human stem cells, I've heard, and again, I'm not an expert, that's why I'm asking you, that we can't, like, grow out those stem cells in the U.S. Like, like there's some companies that will take samples and then you have to go outside the U.S. to get, like, where those have been multiplied or those numbers have grown. Can you just clarify that sure. conversation? So inside the United States, we're not allowed to what's called expand the cells. We're mm-hmm. also not allowed to alter the cells at all, which people go into both sides of that argument as to what's better. You know, us mm-hmm. as a as a chiropractor, as a naturally minded person, we like to keep everything as a package anyway. You know, we like to keep all the natural growth factors, all the mm-hmm. natural cytokines around those cells. So to the idea of taking a centrifuge, spinning out, getting rid of everything except for the cells doesn't really match with how the body is supposed to function anyway. So yeah. if you're talking to a company and they're telling you that they're going to give you 4 million cells in a CC, it's just not possible. You can't get that many cells in the United States without centrifuging and altering those cells. So anyone who's telling you you're going to get these big number of stem cells from their CC in the U.S. is, is altering or touching them. I mean, they're not allowed to touch a centrifuge at all in the United States. They're not allowed to be altered at all. So mm. you can go to other countries, they'll pull out whatever, and then they'll pick out the cells that they like and expand and grow them. You know, for me, it's like, if your stem cells could fix you, they would be fixing you. Right. So pulling out your own, you know, 40-year-old stem cells, 30-year-old stem cells, and then injecting them back in isn't the same thing. We know that the epigenetic memory, which is the reason why we can't have vaccinated cords go through the process is virtually zero in a umbilical cord stem cell versus one that's been living in your fat has been exposed to all of the inflammatory cytokines and everything that comes with your fat for a super long time. So like how useful is that going to be? There's an argument that it's going to give you the same thing as PRP. You know, it's going to give you some downregulation of inflammation locally for a short period of time. But when it comes to things like what stem cells are actually doing as we learn more, which is things like donating their mitochondria to your tissue. So that way the mitochondrial function of your cells viability goes up. It's just not going to happen with the adipose stem cells like it is with an umbilical cord stem cell. Nice. And then where do exosomes like are exosomes part of the umbilical stem cells or where does that differentiation happen? Sure. So exosomes are actually produced by all the tissue in your body. So Mm -hmm. we're actually looking now at using exosomes to not only use them as a therapeutic agent, but also as a diagnostic agent. So if your body starts to create certain exosome profiles inside of you, it may lead to you knowing that you have pancreatic cancer is a big one. So stem cells, as it says, as it states, is a cell that's in your body. It's a, its own fully formed cell. Exosomes are extracellular vesicles. And those extracellular vesicles have what are called payloads in them. They carry things like DNA, RNA, they carry cytokine precursors, they carry everything that goes into programming tissue for what to do, and also interplaying with cytokines to help create an environment to tell your cells what to do. So you know, the market has really shifted from probably doing five to one stem cells to exosomes to really doing 10 to one exosomes to stem cells. 
So the exosomes, you can think of them as little packets of energy because they have the mm -hmm. mRNA. They have the building blocks that are going to be donated to your cells. So that way the intracellular machinery is going to be replaced. Now you take something like NAD, you take something like a laser where you're providing photonic energy into the mitochondria, something like an exosome is going to donate totally clean RNA. So if you have a CD and the CD is all scratched, it can't play, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have really inflamed tissue in your knee and you want to help the chondrocytes that you have heal, regrow, you can't have RNA that's all inflamed and scratched and totally beaten up by too much intracellular calcium and things like that. So the symphony just won't play. If you mm -hmm. use stem cells, you donate mitochondria to your tissue, you use stem cells, it creates a new scaffolding around that tissue, along with exosomes, which are little extracellular vesicles that then deliver clean, totally fresh RNA, you then get the best of both worlds where you're getting the programming, you're correcting the intracellular environment as well as the extracellular environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like a combination therapy, or do you also see that some people, maybe when they're starting to kind of, as you said, there's more use now of exosomes to stem cells. Are you seeing this might be an entry point for some people? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two thoughts that we have when it comes to this. The first one is just the price difference. And so exosomes cost a lot less for mm -hmm. us to produce. So we can obviously sell them for a lot less. And with that and with what they're doing, people can get progressive treatments of exosomes that really change the dynamic of how patients can get outcomes. So mm -hmm. a lot of times stem cell doctors will charge this massive amount of money for this huge infusion of stem cells. And you kind of get this one time push. Now what we're doing, at least in our research, and we can go into that later, but what we're doing with our patients is we're pre-seeding them, let's say if they have a neurologic disease like Alzheimer's, and we're giving them an IV infusion of exosomes every week, every two weeks. And we're using that to totally change the immunochemistry of the body and of the brain. These things are about 100, some of them are even one nanometer big. So they go straight through the blood-brain barrier. They can deliver payload wherever they need to be. A stem cell can't go straight through the blood-brain barrier. You need to have some blood-brain barrier function to get them in. They'll go in, but it just takes some function. So you can do that every week. And we've been seeing much better results with things like neurologic disease and especially things like autoimmune diseases where we're constantly changing the cytokine environment and down-regulating the TH17 T helper types, up-regulating the other types. And we're finding that that and then doing a large stem cell push at the end is giving patients much better long-term remission of their various diseases. If you're just inside of the joint injection world, we always recommend to do at least one cc of exosomes with every stem cell, whether that's two stem cells, three cc's of stem cells, or one-to-one. -one. You know, we have some doctors who just do the exosomes because they say that the, the outcomes are just as good, so they're not even including the stem cells anymore. I think that's there's probably room for both. But that's just what we've been hearing, seeing, experiencing. The stem cells can only come in and let's call it fix. They can only fix or try to alter tissue that has a good internal mechanism, right? So mm -hmm. just like if you go to do a joint injection and you don't have enough vitamin C to produce collagen, to do collagen synthesis, you can go ahead and do your joint injection with stem cells, but there's no raw material to produce collagen. So you're not mm -hmm. going to get any result. 
So we just, I think, padding the statistics by doing a one-to-one ratio or at least one cc of exosomes with your stem cell injection is just changing the outcome drastically for physicians. Mm -hmm. This is so exciting. And this is kind of really like how we, you know, all think here. So it, it fits really into the model. Charles, give us kind of the, you know, just paint the picture of how you get a patient ready. You know, Mark already just mentioned like NAD and laser and pump and, you know, getting the body you know, ready. Sure. What are what are some of your go to kind of therapies in preparation or alongside um, these types of stem cell injections? In general, just for any patient, the cleaner the body, the better the response, right? So same mm-hmm. with supplement. If you're if you're related with heavy metals or mycotoxins or you know chemicals, it, it is difficult to get the amount of response you should because some of those some of the uh, cell responses and signals get blocked or lost in translation when the waters are muddy. So I think I think potentiation. One part of it is as much as possible. It doesn't mean you need to go through a full detox before you know applying some of these things. But I do think that a background of detox is going to be helpful. <laughs> some people, however, the clients that we work with, <laughs> Christine, is are they may be so inflamed that the therapies we would use to detox them sometimes they become very reactive to. So what's kind of cool is that you could actually start with you know biomodulating the immune system with say exosomes. And then come back and see the response, how they are now less inflamed and able to respond to some of the therapies that you would want to clean them out. And then go back and, and put the cherry on top with the exosomes stem cells at the end now that the body is, is cleaned out. So I, I think there's so many ways to do it. And I think that's so cool about this approach with, with regenerative stem cell therapy that really got me when, when Mark was talking to me is the ability to think outside of the box and not just say, you know, here, take this pill, which is what we often do. We just convert it from doing that in conventional medicine to doing with herbs. And then we can take that same mindset and say, oh, here's the next magic thing, just take stem cells. But there's so many, um, the devil's in the details. And, and when we look, start to look at the nuances, you can get so much better response. And, and so I, I do think in some ways, sometimes stem cell therapy has gotten a bad rep because people will say, well, I paid all this money and I didn't get a response. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I know I'm jumping maybe a little ahead here, but the, what was the quality of those stem cells? What was the concentration of the viability of those stem cells, which is something that we really focus on? And then number three, what about some of the nuances of how you can prepare the body in advance? Like you were saying, uh, Mark, maybe you want to do a series of exosomes first and then end with a good bolus of stem cells um, because you were preparing the body to receive and actually fully maximize the, that therapy when you received it. So this is where I think this is a game-changing uh, approaches that we're looking and actually testing. And okay, wow, when we preload with NAD, amazing responses neurologically, right? And so that's what really excites me. And but I would say, as a general rule of thumb, if we need it to bring down inflammation first, you could you can do that first, clean the body out, and then come back in and cap it off with some of you know some of the uh, the more potent therapies now that the body's ready to receive it. So and then Mark, you may have some things to add to that question as well. And he, he loves playing around with different, you know, preloading or different, you know, let's let's have the stem cells in this milieu first before we inject. And so it's, it's really cool. If we want to just go back to what is the most researched thing? And that's honestly probably PEMF and stem cells. So mm-hmm. most people don't realize, you know, PEMF, at least as far as the U.S. regulatory environment is concerned, was originally an FDA-cleared orthopedic device for non-union bone fractures in 1979. So, you know, they've been using it to heal bone and 
neck of tissue since 1979. And what the orthopedic surgeons were doing back then is they were injecting the de- or putting the device in and planting it into a bone, letting it go, and then injecting bone marrow-based stem cells over that to make the process even better. So, you know, the orthopedic world has been using PEMF and stem cells for a super long time. And so, you know, that's the first one. We're currently in the process of starting some laser studies with stem cells. And then, you know, when it comes to the actual procedure itself at our facility, we're, let's just use a knee, we're lasering, we're doing PEMF for a series before, but definitely the day of, and then immediately right after. So, you know, we're doing those therapies live during the injection. We know that lasers will trigger homing mechanisms in stem cells. And so if you're going to do that injection into the knee, on one side of the knee, if you're taking a a lateral approach, you know, we're lasering on the medial side at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. It's not, we're not altering the cells per se, you know, we're just upregulating physiology and allowing things to go. So in an ideal world, a patient would do 30 minutes of PEMF before their injection. They would laser during their injection and for at least five minutes after. And rider and parad are a combination of both with the laser. So when it comes to stem cells, you have to use visible spectrum. So we use class two. We're going to use the 635. We're going to mm-hmm. use 405. We're going to stay in those lower class two settings because we're looking for a photochemical effect. We're not looking for a photothermal effect. You know, if you start to move up and you start to use a class four laser and you start to heat the tissue, that's just the stem cells are not going to like that. So if you were to put a class four over a cultured dish or an infrared over a cultured dish, the stem cells just don't perform well. You decrease their motility, you oxidate them, and they don't swim well. Kind of like sperm. So we use that class two laser in order to create a photochemical effect upregulate the homing mechanism because you're activating the mitochondrial complexes. When you do that, it will use green, violet, and red at the same time, upregulate all the complexes in the mitochondria. And that really then allows those stem cells to know, okay, this place is super metabolically active. That's where we're going to go. And we're going to do do donate more mitochondria that are needed here, kind of like a flagship. Nice. Yeah, it just seems like a no-brainer, right, to combine all of these together. That's so awesome. I, I know there's a couple, of, like maybe a doctor talking out there about B cells and light activation of the actual, it, it might just be PRP, but do you have any comments on B cells? I would assume that kind of just what, what you know, Mark is saying here is the same mechanism because we have those chromophores in the mitochondrial complexes that love to feed off of light and actually can convert it into energy. And so I think probably the same mechanism as for the stem cells as for the B cells is that it's that mitochondrial complex that's, that is feeding off of that light energy. So, I mean, which goes right along with, you know, the bio, we would say bio, biodynamic or bio, how, how did you call it? Photobiomodulation. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're wired to, you know, work with light. I mean, I know this is still like a new field, right? So there's probably even more that we're going to be learning from the application. Um, and we use a laser here that's the Weber laser. So we have um, intravenous light and we can use it topically and interstitially and interarticularly if, if we wanted to. So yeah, I just think the synergy and combinations of that make a lot of sense to me. 
Well, I was going to say, I think also, you know, we talk about like light frequency and vibration and, you know, just it, the talk you gave at the Silkware conference just was so powerful. And, you know, I think that concept is, you know, we can, uh, the, the reason why our body responds to that is because all those things do feed these different aspects, you know, um, in our body, like you showed the water and the way it structures, you know, and so those are all applications, I think, that are good for a body in general, but also can be applied in many ways to stem cells. We do have to be careful about a few things, certain things that we notice, like, for example, we don't want to overheat the stem cells or I love ozone, but you wouldn't want to load the body with ozone. Mark was saying before, before injecting the stem cells because they're, they're more nascent. And so they don't, they do not have all the processes to, you know, produce the superoxide dismutase and all the things that would protect the cell against the oxidative stress uh, that actually boosts our bodies. But in this case, with the new, with newly, uh, you know, injected stem cells, you wouldn't want to add, put them into that milieu yet. So there are a few little caveats there um, to be aware of, you know, not, not just because it's a regenerative therapy doesn't mean that it should be done at the same time as a stem cell um, treatment. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would think like ozone could be like preparation, but yeah, not like day of. Right. So. And when it comes to pre-treating, it doesn't make sense to me to use stem cells to do something for a much lower cost that you can do, you know, with a laser, with supplements, with diet, the patient should do all those things and you should use the stem cells to break through to the next plateau. You shouldn't be used, in my opinion, you shouldn't be using stem cells to downregulate inflammatory cytokines inside of a joint. Like that's a waste of stem cells. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of thought process one for me. You should always be doing any of those integrative therapies beforehand. But mm -hmm. when it comes to somebody who maybe doesn't have all of the tools, mm -hmm. doing the exosomes does not require the pretreatment the same way that the stem cells do because the exosomes are extracellular vesicles and they're so small and they carry those payloads that get delivered intracellularly. You know, they're going to go to those damaged cells and you're going to put them in IV. So they're going to get circulated through their whole body and they're going to go where they want to go unless you're directing them directly into a joint intraarticularly. You know, something that we're looking at doing right now, as far as one of our research studies is we look at the effects of, IV exosomes, and we see how much does that decrease brain inflammation. And so we mm -hmm. currently use a technique that can measure volumetrically each region of the brain, as oh, well cool. as looking at the heat signature in the subcortical and cortical structures. So mm -hmm. we get very clear, mapped out neural connectivity ratings. We get heat signatures for acute inflammatory responses, and then just the straight up volume of each region of the brain broken down. And we get all that through insurance for patients. So oh, wow. we take that, we do that, we see, we do our therapeutic intervention, and then we recheck. And sometimes if your pre-treatment stuff just isn't working, like you could do lasering of the brain. We know that certain lasers have published research that will show significant reduction in Alzheimer's symptoms, significant reduction in autism symptoms. But let's say you're not getting that symptom relief that you're looking for, we recheck the brain and we see that this thing is still super inflamed. It's like, all right, well, you got to go to something like the exosomes in order to get the patient off the mat. So there is a, there's a place to do everything before to optimize your treatment, but sometimes the patients need more, in my opinion, the exosomes as a pre-treatment for those people that can't get off the mat because things are so broken down. Mm -hmm. That is so cool that you're able to see 
that change and that shift. And I'm, you know, my mind's going to all the traumatic brain injury and concussion patients and, you know, how this could be like a really great tool. But yeah, what were you to say, Charles? Well, yeah. And just to say that, you know, I think the way we think of it and we need to talk about it also as practitioners for those who are practitioners to to protect the spaces that basically it's not this is not a you know treatment just that so we know this this lingo and other things <laughs> but what it's doing is it's it's just bringing back the body's innate intelligence on how to heal itself it's not the stem cells are not healing it the stem cells are directing or guiding cellular processes or stimulating cellular processes that the body intuitively already knows it's just bringing back that remembrance so we're giving it the tools with which to work to do that so mm-hmm. i just i feel like when when we're reading these things it's like man wow so you we can see data on autism and you know uh, for, for in pediatric patients for uh, dementia both vascular and alzheimer's and, and different types of dementia I, I one of the studies i was looking at was three treatments in vascular dementia three treatments that they did on the on this cohort had a massive change um, in, in repair with their mentation. It was just, you know, pretty, pretty impressive to see just three successful treatments. And that wasn't very much, but enough to, to see a significant change. So you're reading these things and it's like, whoa, you know, and I, I think we just have to remember, it's like the body, like you were saying, you, you're finding mark where specifically the assistance is needed. And then you're providing it those tools and then the body can repair itself. So, mm-hmm. so fascinating. Like a product perspective, a big issue that we want to inside of the, the stem cell space is that one the stabilizers that are used inside of products the number one stabilizer that's used inside of stem cell products is dmso and so for me it's like well i don't really like taking chemical structures like that as preservatives and injecting them into joints so mm-hmm. we have a very specific freezing process that doesn't require any additives to be put into the product to stabilize it. And once you get a stem cell cryogenically frozen, which is a, I mean, it's a proprietary process, but once you are able to do that, even without preservatives, it'll last in cryogenic storage for six years. And the exosomes are shelf stable without any preservatives that we put in them for, I think it's five years. If you keep it for five years, it'll lose 20% of its cell count. And one cc of exosomes will be, you know, in the trillions as far as the, the cell count that you're actually putting in. So you're still left with trillions of extracellular vesicles, even if it sits on your shelf for five years. And so putting things in your body that don't have preservatives that are from non-vaccinated sources, I mean, the FDA allows for up to 5% of the other person's blood to be inside of a cc of stem cells. and so. The other thing with the DMSO is it can create sulfur reactions, and you're not going to know if that patient's going to have a sulfur reaction until after their injection, in which case you're kind of screwed already. So mm-hmm. for us, there's nothing that goes into the product. That way, it's totally pure, and nothing leaves our lab with a greater rating than 0.5%, or I guess blood tissue. So mm-hmm. we're never going to get a reaction from someone else's biology because we're not going to let that tissue sample go. Or somebody could leave 5% of the CC, which is a it's a visible amount of yeah. other people's blood inside of the product they're selling you. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's rough. And then natural practitioners get mad that the government wants to regulate that. And it's like, well, you've got these people just spinning stuff down, leaving blood in there and then selling it for $200 a vial. And it's like, this is just not, <laughs> this yeah. is not yeah. good. No. Um, so I think 
you know, I try to be empathetic with, I don't know, the, the, the corporate overlord people just looking <laughs> at it from their perspective, you know, we, we yeah. have to do better ourselves before we can just be mad at them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. What about, you know, talking about like when people want to know about like counts, like how many, like million or billion or trillion or whatever um, are in, you know, the stem cell counts, like, cause that can be a way to compare. And then also the screening for other like viruses. I mean, they're especially like the umbilical stem cells, they're like human derived, right? So how do you screen and make sure that, you know, there's nothing that you want to actually by accidentally inject into somebody? So every mother who donates a cord is going to be screened. She's going to have to pass certain background check as far as things like syphilis or infectious disease that can be in the cord. But when the cord gets to us, it goes through a two-week testing process to make sure that there are no problems with it. There are no infectious disease agents in there. There's nothing that's going to create necrosis in there. And it's interesting, you know, human umbilical cords, they don't have things like nerve cells in them where other mammals and animals have nerve tissue. And so when you're looking at what's actually in a human cord, it's a lot harder to infect because of just the tissue types that are in there than, let's say, like a pig umbilical cord. So the components and the matrices that make up an umbilical cord are also very specific. But, you know, withstanding that, we go through a two-week testing process before anything is actually pulled out and, and used from that cord and frozen. So... That was question one. There was another question. What was the other half of that? Um, like the counts, oh, like the how to counts. compare. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. most people who are using cell counts um, overseas, right, they're taking and they're cloning cells. Now, when you take a, a cell and you start to clone it out, you're basically, if we're thinking about it from like an energetic perspective, you're taking that, what's in that the energy in that one tissue cell and you're splitting it and splitting it and splitting it and splitting it. So the quality of the cell and what's around the cell to me is much more important than just the cell count. Because if you were to take that little guy and divide it into a trillion cells, it's like, well, you've taken the energy from one viable cell and now divided it out into all of this tissue. So that's kind of thought process one. It's not always just about the total cell number. When you look at something like when they cloned Dolly, the sheep, way back in the day, they cloned a seven-year-old sheep and then the cloned sheep and Dolly died at the same time. So they both died seven years later. It's not like mm. the cloned sheep then got 14 years like a regular sheep. It only got seven years and they, they both went at the mm. same time. So again, you take, a, let's just make a number, 14 trillion cells out of yourself and inject them back into yourself. You're still taking you out of you and putting it back into you. Right. The slate not being written, not being in an inflammatory environment. You know, like the reason that we have these umbilical cord stem cells to begin with is to make sure that the lifeline between the mom and the baby exists. If that vascular system gets damaged, that connective tissue gets damaged in any way, shape, or form, that baby dies, just like a regular person from lack of nutrients, oxygen, and red blood cells. So you have all of these stem cells, not because they go into the cord and then go to the baby and grow the baby. Those are the embryonic cells. The cells from the umbilical cord immediately go in and correct tissue damage from the cord being twisted and pulled and, and you know, moved all around by the baby. So 
it's a self-preservation. It needs to go in there and correct whatever type of damage is going on, which is why it can turn into so many different uh, cell lines. So cell counts, again, if you are buying stem cells or getting stem cells from somebody who can actually give you a straight up cell count in the United States, you have to use a centrifuge and then it's not legal. So, you know, you're going to get inside of a CC of stem cells from an umbilical cord, just straight up raw, you're going to get like 4 million. And so by the time processing and cell viability counts come through, you're going to end up with somewhere between 1 million to 4 million cells. And unless you put that through a centrifuge, you're not going to know the exact number. Now the exosomes, we can know the exact number because those are not stem cells. And so we can put them through a centrifuge and see what's there. So, you know, we can provide cell viability reports for the stem cells. We can provide cell counts for the exosomes. Uh, but the, the total number, I think, pales in therapeutic value to keeping it as a holistic product and using it the way that nature intended it to be kept. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I, I have just kind of one last kind of question of use. What about the land of aesthetics? I've heard like, you know, exosomes being used like topically, kind of like for people who are looking for like skin rejuvenation without using like fillers and Botox, like, is there a place for that? Yeah, certainly. Burns and wounds, it's impressive for healing. But we know that you, everyone's probably heard of the vampire facial, the concept mm-hmm. with the vampire facials pulling yeah. on your blood down, pulling off the buffy coat, which is, you know, has a, a small amount of stem cells in it mm-hmm. to, uh, to make the skin glow and bring, bring life and vitality back to the skin or hair regeneration. And yes, you know, of course, if you're doing that from that, we've already talked about the different difference in, in you know, the pulling these things from uh, cord, uh, whether it's cord blood or warden's jelly and uh, how, how much more potent something like that can be. Um, so yes, there is definitely applications for hair regeneration, skin rejuvenation, wound healing. And I would, I would also suggest that when we put that in with you know, what we've been looking at with some of the uh, peptide therapies, um, there can be some even added, added effects there as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive field for application that I think isn't often talked about. I, I, would, I would actually say that Probably most practitioners like myself before this often thought of them just as like, let's inject something into a joint. It's like we put PRP in a joint or we do exosomes or stem cells. But uh, what, we're, what we're seeing, I mean, there's data, clinical data on all kinds of uh, range of wide range of autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, dementias, as we mentioned already, I- anything inflammatory, chronic pain, found an article on CRPS, which is, you know, quite difficult to treat in some regards. And what this was, it was a cohort of 10 patients actually in Orange County. Um, and every single patient, except for there was one, sorry, two were lost to fall. So only eight ended, but all eight of them had, had a significant difference in their pain levels. And so the idea is that there is so much um, untouched applications that seems yeah. to be in this field. And so I think it just as practitioners or individuals out there who are seeking answers, we should start adding this to our uh, bag of tools or say, hey, you know, maybe you could try this for me. What do you think about that? And I, I'm so excited about bringing in this clinical application. So, yeah. so we have one, I'll call it aesthetic product right now. And the key with the manufacturing is the carrier molecule that doesn't create damage to your skin while delivering the product. So mm-hmm. that's kind of one, kind of the key 
is when you're using a skincare product, like a topical product that has exosomes in it, is the, the other ingredients are needed to be known. And oftentimes yeah. the reason why they don't work is because they just like put the exosomes in a cream. Cream doesn't have any carrier agents and then it can't actually get into the skin, into mm-hmm. the dermal layers to help reduce the oxidative stress and deliver that clean RNA to allow for the proteins that make up your collagen to be improved. So mm-hmm. it's it's a very known mechanism that the exosomes will go into the skin, wipe away that oxidative damage in the RNA from the sun, and then allow skin to be quote unquote rejuvenated. So mm. the carrier molecule is important. Not having a bunch of other crap in the cream is important. And oftentimes they just don't work because people are just lumping stuff into like a regular skincare product. And then the carrier agent isn't correct and it doesn't do anything. And then people are like, oh, that's a waste of money. So do you guys make a cream? Mm-hmm. You make a cream. Okay, yeah. cool. And then I'm in the yeah. process of developing an entire aesthetics line. So. Oh, that's great. I think that will be, you know, definitely welcomed. <laughs> and from a therapeutic perspective, people often get so focused on other super important things that when it comes to day-to-day health, I mean, we think about our gut barrier all the time. We think about our brain, our blood brain barrier all the time. We think about our lung barrier. I mean, every everywhere we have all these barriers, we even have a testicular barrier, right? That's the same exact as our intestinal barrier, but nobody thinks about all of the damage and the largest barrier in our body, which is our skin. And so just when it comes to the immune system, right? The immune system is recycled from your intestines to your lungs, to your mouth, to your skin. I mean, there's there's so much from a skin perspective that gets lost that comes or should be thought of when it comes to the importance of long-term health i mean if your skin is degrading and oxidatively stressed you're probably oxidatively stressed on the inside and the outside and so yeah i um i see a lot of patients who've had lyme disease and a lot of women are in my practice and you know especially as they're starting to feel better you know their skin has just been affected you know by illness and they don't want to obviously seek out, you know, what's common on the market and bed spas, you know, really aggressive, you know, usually toxic therapies. And so I've, I've been excited, you know, about many things about exosomes, but offering them, you know, like this other option too, that really can help them get back to life and feel good about how they look after, you know, going through such a hard struggle. And sometimes so. just like the, the mental win that comes with looking better, feeling better, what that does for yeah. our brain and our brain controls yeah. our immune system, our organ systems. You know, sometimes just looking better, feeling better is just that feed forward mechanism that somebody needs to make good, healthy choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, that just kind of reminds me of when we look at pregnancy today, I mean, there are over a thousand identifiable chemicals in the umbilical cord at this point being transferred just from the general environment to women to the baby and the fetus during development and so it's the job of these stem cells to try to minimize that toxic environment damage that's going on and it does a really really good job because babies are born with so much potential if you were to expose you me or charles to a vat full of a thousand chemicals it's like all right <laughs> we're all going yeah. down <laughs> but every baby is born with so much potential and, yeah. you know, while we do have these skyrocketing rates of neurodevelopmental diseases and all these things, the number of kids that 
are still healthy given that direct circumstance is amazing. Yeah. That's right. That's so true. Life, right? You know, the potential of life and the drive and energy of life, right? It's, it's something to be yeah. in awe of. So, well, I've learned a lot and I'm really excited um, about all the applications. And, you know, again, you know, I, I do a lot of work with my patients and I think we get them, you know, we get them better in a lot of ways, but usually it's like that 80 to, you know, I get them 80 to 90% there and they, they just still have some, you know, issues that I'm really looking to, you know, ease their path and their struggle and really help their body truly regenerate. And so I, I think this is really an exciting field of medicine. And, you know, we're just getting started in so many ways. I'd like for you both to just share, you know, of course, Mark shared your company and, you know, where people can find these stem cells and how to connect with them. And then Charles, I'd love for you to share you know, your affiliation and then how um, people can learn more about your work and your practice. So the, the company name is Regenerative Cell Therapy Management Corporation. A big mouthful. <laughs> we do the stem cells, we do the exosomes, we do peptides orally, you know, we do uh, a very variety of products as well as the teaching of how to integrate it with all the stuff. So we're more of a management corporation, not just a lab. Uh, that's one. Our website is www.celltherapy.com and you can go there and read about all of our our information clinically if you're on the east coast if you just look up well one collective you'll find the kind of base hub for all of the practice integrated practitioners that we we work with so if you're on the west coast or we work with charles then awesome awesome and then um yeah so so one of one of our goals is to be able to be able to make this available to any practitioner who would like to use this. So one of, one of the visions that that we have is if you know if someone is maybe says, "Hey, I'd like to bring this in, but I don't have the ability to do so," I would be one of the uh, practitioners that maybe ought to fly in, and and if they line up people for a day, I can come in and do that if I'm licensed in that state. I'm working on multiple state licenses for that purpose because we want this to be as accessible as possible to mm -hmm. people who. Who need it or just maybe support as a as an administrating physician they bring in a practitioner and i just can oversee it if that's the rules in their state so we're looking at you know making some innovative ways to try to allow maybe some practitioners like chiropractors who may have some hurdles in that regard to still be able to bring it into their offices and so that's one aspect currently right now i'm working with functional medicine of idaho mm -hmm. in the state of idaho we focus a lot on the regenerative space, uh, launching a program called Precision Age Reversal, and we do a lot of work with, uh, right now, mold is like a huge thing right now. I would say, you know, post-COVID and, and, uh, and, you know, 5G rollout and all that. But what I'm actually focusing now more is um, education. So I'm, gonna, I'm launching an educational website. It's called Prosper Well MD. And then along with that, we'll, we'll have a list of some of the regenerative services that I will offer that are not offered at M, uh, FMI like, like the stem cells. So. Great. Well, you're busy, both of you. And I want to thank you both for being on the podcast and your contribution, you know, to just education and, you know, making these um, therapies available. I, I really appreciate all your uh, dedication and hard work. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Schaffner. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Charles Penick and Dr. Mark Bunderlich. Please check out all the resources in the show notes on how to connect with both Dr. Funderlich's company about regenerative cell therapies, as well as Dr. Penick's great work and his practice. So I hope you really enjoyed this and learned a lot. And you know, stay tuned. I'm going to be doing more and more of these therapies in my office as well. Have a beautiful day.